Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have my friend Phil Kramer. Phil, how you doing? I'm doing real good, Jay. As you know, this is a great time of year, and, and I'm enjoying it. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah. it looks like um, from your Instagram you've been doing quite a bit of scouting, and you just got done with the first weekend up there in central Arizona on an elk hunt helping a buddy. Um, what are you seeing out there as far as antler growth? Um, you know, you've been doing quite a bit of scouting. You've got cameras out. What, what's the antler growth looking like? Well, um, you know, it's kind of what we expected. It, it's what we had talked about earlier in the year. Um, you know, as you know, we had a really dry uh, winter in the majority of, of the units around the state. And um, in that central Arizona area where we're hunting, um, it, it wasn't an exception. It, it was dry as well, and the rain started fairly late. And uh, the antler growth suffered. Um, the bulls started out really well. Uh, for the most part, pretty good fronts, and once they get up to their thirds and everything, they start to peter out. Um, I've yet to find a bull that's finished strong. Um, they're they're lacking in mass for the most part, and uh, overall, it, it's a down antler growth year. Um, what would you say, Phil? You know, let's say like a 350 bull, um, you know, like a frame. Is he down to, you know, 325, 330 because the back end's just real stunted? Is that what you're seeing? And, 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 you know, like a 330 bull is only like a 300 or 305 bull because the back end, you know, short fifth, short fourth, short beam? That's exactly what I'm saying. And then, um, it's also what we're seeing um, with the bulls that we're, we're actually getting to lay, lay eyes on as well as the bulls that uh, I've got on camera this year. Um, there's been a number of bulls that, they'll be walking at you and first look you look and you go oh man that's going to be a 350 type bull and he turns sideways and he gets to his fourth fifths and sixth there's beams fourth fifths and beams and uh, there's nothing there um it's short and that 350 type bull is now a 320 325 type bull um and even some of the younger bulls that that seem to have pretty good frame and pretty good beam length and everything they turn and they're just real uh almost willow horned uh thin they haven't put on all that mass that they normally would and um the 300 bulls and kind of smaller don't seem to be as affected as much as the the upper class of bulls um they're still you know obviously less than what they would be on a real good uh feed and moisture year but the bigger bulls for sure are definitely suffering, and I'd say anywhere between 20 and 30 inches um, from what they would normally be. Do you have any bulls specifically that maybe you saw last year or you have have history with that you can say, you know, that was a 370 bull last year and it's, you know, 340? I mean, do you have anything out there um, that you can definitely, you know, go, wow, look at the difference in, in year to year? Um, I don't for sure. I have some that are, are very close to what I believe um, were some of the bulls last year that I was getting. Um, and then this year they've changed their, their almost their configuration enough that it's making them really hard to recognize. Uh, I actually just posted a bull this morning um, that I had early on in the year um, in velvet, and he, he was showing a lot of potential, a lot of mass. And when he finished out, um, he, he almost got there, but his beams are probably 
in the neighborhood of 8 to 10 inches shorter um, than what they normally would be. And I actually had him uh, some last year, but really early. Um, but I was able to lay eyes on him last year during the hunt. And he, he's fairly recognizable because he's got one almost devil time, but it's further out as G1. And uh, he's he's down for sure from when I saw him last year during the hunt. He was at 360 maybe 370 type bull um really excited to see what he'd turn into this year and he's actually about the same um as far as mass and and front end and then his back ends and his beam length just got killed um you know this year i'd put him in the 340 class uh 340 to 345 class so that's one that i can think of i had another one last year that was a real young bull um he had a couple extras uh thinking this year that he might be one of the hit list bulls i got him on camera um right after he started shedding his velvet and he just didn't materialize he still has the extras um started out with good fronts but he has no mass and no length uh, to speak of whatsoever so um it, it's disappointing in that regard but by all means it's always fun to be out there and see what they look like for sure. I mean, it sounds like to me, I'm up here in Colorado, but it sounds like, you know, a 95 or a 2002 all over again. Um, you know, I I was fearful of that with the uh, winter that we had. Um, obviously, uh, big monsoonal moisture um, as far as feed conditions uh, and, and, you know, how do the elk look how how are the feed conditions one and how do the elk how do their bodies look um with with what we had this summer with monsoons the feed conditions right now are good um cliff rose is blooming um it looks better than it's it's looked in several years uh the grass has really come on strong what i've noticed this last week though is uh with the, the high winds and the hot temperatures that feed's drying out really quickly. Um, you know, the wind's burning it pretty hard. So I've noticed that the elk are actually moving into the, the trees um, quite a bit more, getting up under those trees where the grass is still real green. Um, they're definitely chasing the green up right now, um, which is to be expected this time of year as kind of the seasons start to change a little bit. But as far as body condition, I was pretty surprised. Early on, um, you know, in June, uh, I was really disappointed and pretty fearful for what the outlook would would be for the elk. And um, the, the cows and, and the bulls were, were really poor. You could see their ribs. Um, and actually, by the end of July, first part of August, everything had fattened up. Um, I was seeing a ton of calves, which... Uh, I know in, in other parts of the state that was kind of a concern with calf recruitment, but um, I've seen a lot of cows now with twins and even some with triplets. And uh, I, So I think the rut's going to be good. I just think it's going to be late um, because the elk seem to be in good condition compared to what I thought they were going to be in. That's good. Yeah, that moves on to kind of the bugling report. Uh you know, up there for the first weekend. I know there's a lot of guys that are headed back up the hill today, um, you know, got a little bit of work in and headed back up. Um, as far as the rut report, uh, you know, 
I'm betting it was probably a little bit slow and, you know, kind of that Sunday lull probably after uh, the first couple days. But how was it? Um, you know, even even a couple days before, was, were they ripping? Did they shut down? Have they not gotten started? What, do, what are you noticing out there? Um, that, that first weekend was definitely lackluster, um, to, to say the least. Uh, very few bugling. Um, you could get one to, to get going if you got right in his back pocket. Uh, actually, on Sunday, um, was able to call a bull in, um, but the only reason why we were able to call him in and even get him to uh, get going there was we got, you know, within that 80 to 100-yard window of him, um, just close the distance on him and uh, was able to draw him in. But other than that, just a few bulls here or there sounding off, um, the week before the hunt, we actually had a number of bulls bugling, uh, wallowing, you know, just shredding trees, kind of that type of thing. They come out of velvet, and they feel good, and they think it's time, but the cows just aren't quite ready. Um, so I, each day that I was up there, um, it, it seemed to get a little better. You would hear a few more bugles in the morning and the evenings. Um, I think towards the end of the hunt and even into the early rifle hunts that, it's going to be a good rut, and there's going to be a lot of activity. Um, if the bulls can stay stay together and keep their horns, uh, you know, their antlers, I think, are going to start to get broke up pretty good. But yeah, I think we'll right talk now, about they're not. So I want to talk about that with you next. I want to take a quick second here to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com Gear Shop and the Optics Department specifically, with Cody Nelson as their manager. Cody is the optics authority. He is the optics manager at GoHunt.com Gear Shop. If you have any optical needs, binos, spotting scope, tripods, rifle scopes, give Cody a call at 702-847-8747. That's extension two. He hasn't worked his way up the ladder yet to be the extension one, so make sure you put extension two I say that with a smile on my face. Also, you can email Cody at optics at gohunt.com. Now, he has promised me that he is going to take care of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listener. So if you have any optical needs, tripods, uh, or any gear in the Go Hunt gear shop, uh, give Cody Nelson a call. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. I also want to thank kuyu.com, K-U-I-U.com. Phil, I know uh, you're a big supporter of Kuyu. Um, I got a kick out of your uh, uh, text the other day. You said even down to the skivvies, and um, I, I, I smiled at that. Uh, we're all uh, still mourning the loss of the founder, uh, Jason Harrison, the founder of Kuyu, uh, but I appreciate all of the Kuyu Nation and all of the support uh, that I've gotten, and I appreciate all of the texts and emails, uh, direct messages, and what have you, but I I've uh, really appreciated Kuyu's sponsorship of this podcast, and uh, I support that company. I'm excited to let you guys know that uh, Jason surrounded himself with an incredible team there, and I was out there for the funeral and met with a lot of the Kuyu staff members, and they are going to push forward very hard, and they are going to uh, really devote themselves to pushing Jason's legacy and what he stood for. And um, so I really appreciate Kuyu uh, sponsorship of the podcast and make sure you go to KUIU.com. They just announced uh, yesterday and today, the new Kenai collection. 
um, which is the uh, synthetic insulation. I'm really excited to get some of those pieces. So check them out. And then Canyon Coolers, canyoncoolers.com. Use the J. Scott promo code to get the 10% uh, discount on all orders. Bill, you, you mentioned something, bone density. Uh, you mentioned that the antlers don't seem to have as much mass. Um, they, see, they seem thinner. Um, and you and I both know that that translates to a lot of broken antlers. Have you seen any broken antlers yet? And if so, what percentage of bulls would you say uh, you've seen that are broken? Um, I, I've not actually seen any bulls that are busted up yet or broke. Um, I've had a, re a couple reports of bulls that I had um, pictures of early uh, that guys had actually ran into or, or called in um, and said that they were busted. I myself have not seen any of it yet. Uh, I do believe that once the rut gets going, um, we're going to see a lot of it. it it's kind of we're kind of in one of those uh, perfect storms with. The cows are in pretty good shape, and, and they're feeling good, and there's quite a number of bulls around, and I think they're going to have a really good rut. But given the conditions early on, I, as you just mentioned, the, uh, the density of the, the antlers is not what it normally would be, and I think we're going to see a lot of broken bulls in those later hunts and the rifle hunts and um, so on and so forth. So I, I hope I'm wrong on that, but, it, but I definitely see a lot of broken bulls coming here shortly. So. Yeah, it's one of those things when you kind of have a rut that, you know, it's a little slow to start, and then it's going to probably heat up here over the next week or so. They're going to really get after it and start fighting, and all of a sudden it's it's crazy. You've seen it, Phil, where you're just, you know, you don't see any broken bulls, and then all of a sudden in a matter of day or two, I mean, 75 80% of the bulls have some sort of broken point, um, and it's just something on – years like this where you know you have those dry winters and uh they, they just they just don't grow the bone density and i think you see way more broken points um you know on years like this uh you know do you think for hunters out there listening you know you've done this enough uh hunted arizona your whole life for elk and such uh, is there any strategy change or mental change that you go into? Obviously, you don't have a tag, but your buddy has a tag. Um, you know, on a year like this, you still have the tag. You're hunting. You know, how do you prepare yourself mentally? You know, what's going through your head on a year like this? Well, it, it's something that a guy definitely has to take into consideration, um, especially, as you know, on these early hunts, it can get to be a, quite the grind. So, Preparing mentally is so important, and what we've done is actually taken kind of an inventory of what we've seen and, and compared it to what we've seen in years past. And, and we know, realistically speaking, we're not going to be necessarily holding out for that 390, 400-type bull. Um, it might not even be 380, so we've kind of adjusted our strategy to target and look for the bulls that might have some really cool character or really heavy but not necessarily going to score huge or anything like that and and be realistic with the expectations that you have for the tag in a year like this um, as far as strategy wise what we've really started doing this year more so than ever given that 
you know, things haven't really heated up right now, and it's hot. Um, you know, it, it's granted the last couple of days we've had a cool down, but it's hot out there, so we've really been focusing on water. Um, we've really been basically letting our optics do the work, uh, trying to penetrate areas that normally we would be out there sneaking and and going through and really, uh, you know, snooping and pooping through the woods. We've actually gotten way back and tried to look into it from afar. The elk aren't necessarily moving a lot. Um, it's very last light, first light type of situation. And, and we've really kind of gone at it with a cautious approach so far. Um, we believe that each day is going to get a little better, and I think it's just a matter of time to be in the right place at the right time, and it's going to get, get kicking, and it's going to have that type of, of morning or an evening that you dream of, you know, as an archery elk hunter, that everything's screaming, and no matter how bad you try and mess it up, you just can't. It just all goes right. So um, that's kind of the mentality that we, we have right now and that we've been really trying to make sure we carry through the hunt. Don't get frustrated. Um, you know, it, it can that grind can get long and the days can get long, and just got to stay with it knowing that better times are ahead. And if it happens, it happens, and if it doesn't, you enjoy every minute that you're out there um, because we're lucky to be able to do it. So. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've all gotten the reminder over the last couple of weeks with Jason's deal that, you know, life is short and you've got to enjoy every moment. And um, so I'm glad you have that approach. You mentioned earlier talking about, uh, you know, really good monsoonal moisture and the feed looking good. And, and then you, you mentioned uh, that the, the feed kind of dries out and in the meadows and stuff it's a little drier. Um, those elk will they'll seek out some of that greener grass. You mentioned, you know, they're more in the trees. Talk a little bit about when you have hot conditions, which your temperature down there has been extremely warm, and then you have feed in the trees, um, you know, as far as those elk then spend most of their time in the timber. I hear you talking about looking from a distance, trying to look in there. Um, talk a little bit about the you know, the hardship that that creates um, for for the elk hunters. You bet. Um, you know, typically this time of year, those elk are, are in the timber, and then as it starts to cool off in the afternoons, they'll they'll come out in those meadows and those big valleys, and they'll, they'll feed because the grass is good and it's tender, and, and they're out there messing around, and that way, I mean, they want to be in the open this time of year too, but the way that the, the feed's been drying out, it's really been limiting them to not where they're not coming out in those open valleys and those open meadows they're actually staying up in the timber because the timber actually protects that green grass from the wind and the sun and and the basically brutal summer-like elements we have going on right now so what it does it, it actually makes it really hard on us to to get a good look at some of these bulls that we're trying to see um, because they are in the timber Obviously, it makes it harder to see for one, but it, it makes it also harder to cover the ground that you need to see in a short period of time because you might have 30 minutes of light before it gets dark when these elk are actually active right now. Um, we've seen it on our trail cameras as well as out there glassing that they're just not getting out of the bread until well after the sun's down um, because it is so hot. And then you compile that with being in the timber and not coming out in the open and it it really makes it hard to uh, get eyes on these elk without getting in there and trying to get right up next 
next to them and, and have that chance of bumping them. So it, it's definitely a challenge. Um, we've been focusing on water uh, at night uh, just for the for the fact that, that the, it is so hot and the elk are pounding it. And the majority of the elk are coming in after the sun's already gone and everything, so that last 20 to 30 minutes of lights when all the action seems to happen. So it makes for long days um, going around checking sign in the middle of the day, and then you have that, that magic hour, which turns into about 30 minutes, and do the best you can. So We've talked about before on prior podcasts, um, we've talked about trail cameras a lot with coos deer and the use that you have for them in, in Arizona, not, not only Arizona, but in Mexico on some of the ranches you hunt for coos deer. Um, I, I was curious from a camera setting uh, here at the Ot Fix Ranch, um, we run those stealth cam. Uh, cameras, and I, I'm curious on your water tanks, if you run custom settings, if you run video, you know, do you burst shot, how many seconds, um, and, and maybe how that would differ, uh, you know, what is your elk strategy for running cameras, uh, you know, there in Arizona? Well, it does differ between what I do for the, the coos and the elk. Um, mainly because the elk come in and they spend quite a bit more time at the water than they than a coos deer would. Um, you know, typically a coos will come in, drink, and, and leave, where the elks, they're wading right out into the water and, and getting cooled off and spend a little more time eating that green weed around the tanks and stuff. So normally on the elk, what I'll do is if I'm running a still picture mode, instead of running like a three-shot burst with a, a five-minute delay, I'll run a 30-second delay and run like an eight-shot rapid-fire burst. So that way I'm trying to get as many angles of that bull as I can in a short amount of time without necessarily filling up my whole card of the same bull. Um, whereas the coos deer, I might have a three-shot standard with a, a five-minute delay because normally they'll come in, get a drink, and leave, so it doesn't do any good to have uh, the rapid shot or a very fast delay time. So... That's kind of what I'm doing on the still shots. On the videos, by far, I try and, and target certain areas on tanks where I know that bull's going to come in and wallow or spend some time maybe raking a tree, um, interacting, and, and just try and get some good video out of the deal, uh, which is always fun, always fun to see. Um, I've definitely changed a lot of my angles, um, trying to get better shots. Uh, I've had more close-up bulls blurred out this year than I ever have, and, and the majority of it's because I've had to get lower um, just due to the, the way that the water's filled up in the tanks and everything. So um, when we went back up uh, and actually was on the hunt, I spent some time changing the cameras around to try and better um, capture some of those moments that you have when the elk come in. Um, when you say they were blurred out, so you didn't move your camera location and the, the water got closer to your camera, is that what you're saying, or was it the actual angle that your post or the tree that the camera's on? So the majority of it is the, as the rains came, the water filled up, which put the elk then right next to the camera instead of that 10 to 15 foot range. Um, so I had to change the angles because they were just so close to the camera then due to the where the gotcha. water was. So. Gotcha. Uh, and, and, you know, for the listeners out there, when you, you talk about uh, it's really hard to get pictures on, well, it's not hard to get pictures on water, but it's hard to get the right 
pictures. You talk about trying to see where they're wallowing. So when you get to a tank, you look for those wallowed out divots, you know, areas where you can tell that they've been wallowing and you focus your attention of your cameras there. Is that is that what I hear you saying? For sure. Um, and not just where they're actually wallowing, uh, because they, they wallowed really good early, and right now they're kind of in a lull where they're not doing much of it. So what I'm actually looking at now when I'm approaching these tanks is where the weeds are, are knocked down, where they might be coming and going and spending more time, per se, than just coming in, drinking, and then leaving. So I'm looking for those areas and kind of those telltale signs to target the camera on. Um, which has been working out pretty good. Uh, got some really, really neat pictures and, and video clips of, of elk playing in the water that way. Um, which, as you know, it, it's fun. It, it's fun to do and look at and see. Um, it sure is. I want to transition here, and then uh, I'll let you go. I know you've got a busy day. Uh, you did uh, quite a bit, like always, uh, archery deer hunting in Arizona, and had some great pictures of bucks. I'm curious. Uh, the conditions of the coos deer uh, antler growth, does it seem to be normal? Does it seem to be below or, you know, above uh, average? And um, talk a little bit about your season that you had. Um, the coos deer, I, I don't believe the drought affects them near as bad as far as on antler growth as, as mule deer elk. Um, what I've seen this year is I would say every bit as good as any other year and maybe just a touch better. Um, I've had some young bucks that, that really blew up this year. Um, I wasn't expecting it. What I did notice was everything was really late. Um, I ran a bunch of cameras in southern Arizona, and all the way up until like August 1st, I I was really disappointed in the antler growth. I was like, man, there, there's just nothing here. And then from like the 10th of August, all the way up until the 24th, 26th of August is when the deer really put on the inches. I mean, they just, it's like they, they were behind by about two weeks from what they normally are. And that could be due to the, the really dry summer and, and their development and everything was a little behind. But then they just absolutely put on the inches. And I was really pleasantly surprised with some of the bucks, the way they turned out. Um, the way they, they finished out some of the extras they put on this year um, that they didn't have last year. Uh, you know, coos deer are a, a lot more habitual than the elk, so I get a lot more history with them from year to year. Um, and it, it just turned out uh, to be one of the better years that I've had running cameras early. Um, there were a couple bucks that I was hunting specifically. I spent, oh, five days or so um, off and on down there for the first couple weeks before I had to get back up to elk country. And uh, I wasn't able to close a deal on them. Um, I, I missed one really good opportunity. Uh, I'd been sitting there for four days straight, you know, 13, 14 hours in a blind. Um, one of my target bucks came in, shot right over his back, uh, just deflated me, took the wind right out of myself. <laughs> uh, but we've had it happen. That's, that's part of hunting, and, and it was definitely... A humbling reminder um, that just because he comes in doesn't mean the deal's done. So <laughs> I still have to. Yeah. Execute. But it was it was a good time, a good hunt. Um, I took a couple of my buddies down, my cousin and uh, had a, another friend of mine. They both killed bucks the first morning, and then a, another buck the second morning. Um, they were really happy with them. I was happy for them, 
and what I really have to look forward to now is I have one real big non-typical um, that I was really trying to uh, get with, with my bow. I wasn't able to get it done, but my daughter has a youth tag, um, rifle tag, in that same unit, and it's coming up here in a couple weeks. So we've got a game plan together, and we're we're uh, going to go in there, and she said that's uh, the buck she wants. So kind of like her dad, we'll see what happens and see if she can uh, make it work. Out. If not, we probably won't be getting one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she usually, once she sets her mind on something, it's either that buck or nothing. Um well, that sounds awesome. I'm I'm glad you're going to get to spend some time uh, with her. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah. What about Mexico? Are you running a string of cameras there yet, or will you wait to go down um, kind of after the fall Arizona seasons? Uh, I'm doing everything I can to not go down right now, just because there's <laughs> so much else going on. Um, but my partner in in that uh, venture down there, he's going to make a trip here in October. Um, go down, set just a minimal amount of cameras, probably 20 or 30, um, on targeting specific drinkers that we normally don't target. We're, we're looking for a couple bucks that we were not able to pick up last year that we had the year before. Um, so we're going to go out on those fringe areas and, and try and find him. And then we'll really get serious about it in November. Uh, that's when we'll go down and set our full string. Um, probably... We'll probably be running a hundred to a hundred and a half uh, uh, cameras by the end of November. So, looking forward to it. Um, as always, you know, it's something that's never far from the front of my mind is hunting coos deer in Mexico. So, uh, for sure, we've had some great podcasts on that. Um, Phil, uh, refresh me on the changes or the, you know, the the trail camera. The game of fish came out, and you know was talking about potentially a trail camera ban, and then I think they banned cell phone cameras. Uh, one question is, did they ban cell phone cameras in Arizona, and do you know when that goes into, into effect? And then from what I remember, they just kind of tabled the trail camera thing, which I think is a great thing uh, myself. Uh, what, what do you know, because I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on it, uh, they did. They did table um, the trail camera ban on water. Um, that was at first they were looking at, at trail cam ban in general, and then it was trail cam ban on water within a quarter mile of a water source. Um, they did table that. Uh, they did, if I remember correctly, and and I hope I don't give anyone false information here. But the way I remember it, and the way I interpret it. They did end up banning the use of cell cams, in other words, a camera that will send a picture directly to your cell phone or your tablet. Um, but I don't believe that takes effect until, uh, I want to say, early next year. Um, okay. Is, okay. Is the way I yeah, I, I wasn't sure if that was something that they'd already set a date or if they projected out or if it will, be, if it will even affect this hunting season. Um, and... You know, I think we've talked about it before, us as sportsmen, we've got to get together and, and in some of the problem areas um, figure out the best solution because it would be sure a shame, you know, guys like yourself that are running cameras in completely obscure units, you know, completely out of the way, never seen another person, you know, just a random camera here and there, you know, not affecting anybody's hunt. It just seems like, you know, banning that 
the joy and excitement of being able to, to you know, enjoy the outdoors by, by putting cameras out and not hurting or affecting anybody's hunt. It seems like it'd be a shame to me um, as well as others. Um, Phil, I really appreciate you spending time uh, with us today. I uh, want to give you a chance. Uh, well, first of all, everybody should check out Phil's Instagram, Kramer Hunt on Instagram. That's with a C. I'll also link it up in the show notes. But uh, just uh, wanting to know if you have any concluding thoughts or, um, you know, anything that we missed or any, any advice or tips or anything that you want to say uh, in conclusion here. Oh, Jay, I just appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk. Uh, I always enjoy talking with you on or off the podcast, and it's always a good time. I do agree, um, you know, that I think it would be a a real shame to just make an out-and-out ban on trail cameras. I mean, I I get a lot of enjoyment out of looking at the pictures and sharing the pictures, and and with a little common sense and a little common courtesy amongst us as hunters to when you go in and check cameras or, or, you know, when you're out there and running into other people and ranchers and everything, I think we could prevent any issues really just by working together and then we're not going to ruin it for for the whole crowd and and everybody. Um, You know, a lot of people think that just because you have pictures of an animal means you can go in and kill it. And um, For anyone that believes that, I I think you need to go try it a time or two because it it normally doesn't work that way. (laughs) You get more enjoyment out of it and more of an inventory, so to speak, on what's in the area and what the animals are doing. And uh, I really hope that they don't do that. I, I think with a little thought into the subject that we can prevent it, but... We'll see how it goes and, and obviously hope for the best and work together and strive for it. So I just, you know, I think everyone out there needs to enjoy what they have um, because, as we all know, especially from recent events, um, you never know when you won't have it anymore and when it might be gone. And, and that's just really hit home to me this year um, more than ever is I'm very blessed for what I do. I'm blessed for the friends and family I have, and I'm blessed to be able to chase the great, animals that the the lord has put on this earth for us so just enjoy it don't take it for granted awesome man well <clears throat> thanks for coming on thanks for sharing uh look forward to to watching your progress on instagram and and hoping that uh you guys get a big old bull and then hope hoping that your you and your daughter have a great hunt uh uh in in arizona there for tuesday so uh we'll probably be chatting again before Tuesday season. I know people get a lot of value out of listening to you and um, just appreciate your time, okay? Okay, Jay, I appreciate it and good luck and be safe up there in Colorado, buddy. All right, buddy, take care. God bless.